From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman. I'm joined by my longtime friend and business partner, Eric Kalis, in his man cave, so nicely decorated. I'm afraid one day I'm going to find you hanging in the corner. <laughs> I love this little man cave. Uh, today we're going to be talking about you're not setting your goals correctly. So what's wrong with revenue? You may not have anything wrong with it, but you may not actually know what your goals are. You may be setting them incorrectly. They may be too high. They may be too low. We're going to try to cover all that today with Eric. Uh, the uh, housekeeping that we always do, What's Wrong With Revenue, is available on all of your favorite audio and video platforms. You can check us out on YouTube, go to the Square Two Marketing channel, and you can catch all of the What's Wrong With Revenue live cast episodes there. Like us, subscribe, and you'll get notifications when we post new episodes there. You can check us out on Square Two Plus, the new streaming service Square Two hosts on our website, square2marketing.com backslash square2plus, where we have all of our audio and video content, including every episode of What's Wrong With Revenue. You can get it there. And if you're into podcasts, the episode will be available tomorrow morning on all your favorite podcast platforms. So what are we going to do today? We're going to talk about how most companies leave high-level goal setting to the CEO or the leadership team. And in many cases, and certainly Eric and all of my experiences, they don't always ask outside resources to participate in it. They most of the time go, look, we did 20 million last year. We definitely should be able to do 25 million this year. Our competitor did 50, so let's shoot for 40. And really that's kind of how it gets done. Unfortunately, that doesn't always mean they have the right resources, doesn't always mean they have the right investment to do it. It obviously wasn't calculated based on any kind of science. It was a lot of kind of gut and feel and there are generally quite a few limiting factors that might make that $40 million goal fairly unattainable. So we're gonna to try to break that down today. We're gonna to talk about some uh, ways in which you could think a little differently about your goal setting. We're gonna answer some questions like we always do. And hopefully when we're done, your organization will be a little better prepared to set some goals going forward. Um, so Eric, anything you wanna to add to kick us off? People ask me literally every week, hey, Eric, how much should I spend on marketing? And I say, I don't know. What are your goals? And I think today is a perfect way to answer that question for everybody. Awesome. So let's just get right into it. Um, we do a lot of help uh, with prospects and clients when it comes to goal setting and when it comes to figuring out the marketing budget, because generally it's a pretty um, direct relationship between the marketing budget and the goals. If you have big goals and a small marketing budget, I think your chances of hitting your goals are probably pretty small. 
So there's a direct relationship between budget and goals. So when, when uh, people ask you, I know they're asking you about budget, but when they ask you about goals, how do you advise them to, to move away from guessing like we talked about at the opening into something a little more scientific, if you will? Well, you know, we deal primarily in mid-market and entrepreneurial firms. So there are those firms that are doing like 10 to 100 to $200 million, somewhere in there. They're really good at what they do, but they're not quite mature in their sales and marketing efforts quite yet. So Mike, I just want to push back. Very few people actually come to us with their goals. They usually right. say, I want to get more leads. And then I say, well, how many more leads do you want to get? And that starts the conversation around goal setting. Now, typically when I say, well, how much do you want to grow? People will say, I want to double my business. It seems to be the standard answer. So I go, well, no problem. How long did you set for a time horizon to double your business? Because if it's tomorrow, eh, chances are it's not going to happen. But if it's like, hey, we're on a three-year plan to double our business, great. Now we can start to get into some of the meat. I would say for the most part, you're right. People just pick numbers. They're not very scientific about goal setting. And they certainly don't break it down into granular chunks of what needs to happen along the buyer's journey, what increases need to be made in order to attain that final growth number. So I think there's a lot of like throwing darts, if you know what I'm saying. Um, and that, that's like a bad thing. There's so many things to business. Not everybody could be an expert goal setter. But I think that when you have realistic expectations about where your business can, do, can go and a decent, not fat, but like a decent budget to start to execute that, you can really start to align where you want to go and then how the activities that you need to do align with that goal setting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And um, I think that the objectives around coming up with realistic goals has to be rooted in, in some kind of science, right? And I know we've done this with some clients before where you know, they might say, we, to your point, I want to double my business. So I did 10 million last year and I want to do 20 million this year, right? Okay, great. You know, how much of that 10 million is reoccurring, right? How much of that 10 million can we count on this year? And generally no business can count on all of the revenue that they did last year, right? Hardly anyone has a, a business model where there's no attrition. So, you know, maybe they can count on eight out of the 10 million going into the next year, right? Well, now they actually need 12 million in new business, not 10 million in new business. They want to get to 20, right? So that's the first thing that I think people should think about. I rarely hear, hear people talk about that. Um, then you have to start thinking like, okay, well, where is that 12 million going to come from? Is it, how much of that is going to come from current customers? Because we talk about this a lot. There's a lot of revenue buried in current customers. that isn't it really isn't mined properly by most of the companies that we come in contact with. So of that $12 million, how much do they think they can get from current customers? Maybe it's 2 million, right? Now they're back to 10. So if they need 10 million, you know, how many client, how many new clients is that? And the client they get in December is going to contribute a lot less to that $10 million goal than the client they get in January. So what is the, the flow of that new client uh, input intake going to be over the course of 12 months? Like, those are some ways to start putting a little bit of science to these objectives. Like how many leads do you need to close $10 million in new business? Like that could be an astronomical amount of leads 
that the business is not equipped to, to even handle that amount of leads to, to get to that. So I think starting to look at some of the numbers like that is going to be a really good way to decide whether the goal is realistic or not, and then potentially even put some thought into what a realistic goal might be. Does that make sense? It sure does. I mean, even you and I had a little bit of this exercise when we were offered to sponsor an entrepreneur conference. And we were like, well, how much is it? And how many people are coming? And how many days is it? And how many people do you think will stop by our booth? And how many people will be in your breakout session? We started to really drill down into some of the smaller numbers right. to come up with something we felt comfortable with. And then we even cut it in half uh, The from the last episode, the blow your smoke up your skirt uh, issue. Right. Right. Um, and cutting that in half to make sure that we're not like fooling ourselves and it all worked out. So we move forward, but like, I'm not sure that a lot of people will take the time to kind of like whiteboard that out and see how many leads they actually need to get there. Um, Mike, I have a great slide. I'd love to share to start the conversation today. Would that be okay? Uh, yeah. Can you share your screen? Sure can. All right. So this is a slide that when we're talking to prospective clients, sometimes they can really grab onto. And I thought that this would be a good way to start today's conversation. So net of attrition, this is a very simple exercise on how you can grow your business with new business. If you want to set goals, you simply need three pieces of information. The first one is, how much do you want to grow? The second one, how much will a good client spend in the course of the first year? And the third one is, what's your close rate? Or in other words, for every 10 deals you pitch, how many end up doing business with you? In this simple example, we have a company that wants to go from their current $10 million in revenue to $12 million by the end of the year. So they're looking for a $2 million increase in revenue. If we take that $2 million and we divide it by the average engagement size of $25,000 per client, it means we need approximately 80 new clients. But wait a minute, we have a 50% close rate. So we have to double that in order to uh, understand that we really need 160 sweet sales opportunities to have our sales team close half. Now, what people don't understand is if you need 160 sales opportunities, you have to apply a rule of thumb of somewhere around three to five times the amount of total leads that you get over the course of the year because not all leads will be qualified. Some people won't be a good fit for your company. Some people won't have the budget to work with you. Some people will be downright jerks that you reject on a culture perspective. So if you think about it like a fishing analogy, you need a big enough fishing net to catch a lot of little fish and a lot of big fish, happy to throw back the little fish as long as you get your 160 big fish in this example. So in this case, we would target building a marketing program that would generate 400 to 600 total leads over the course of the year, understanding that 160 of those will probably be qualified sales opportunities that we could turn over to the sales team and they'll close half and we'll get to our goal. Now, when you boil this down, 400 to 600 leads might sound like a lot over the course of the year, but when you divide it by the 252 workdays in the United States, it's one or two leads a day. And that's where you now start your initial metric. Did we get two leads today? Are we consistently averaging 1.5 leads a day over the course of the month? And that's where you could start to build up from that number. Also, how many leads, the 400 to 600, has to be divided by uh, channels? How many will we get from referrals? How many will we get from SEO? How many will we get from our paid ad campaign? What about our speaking engagements that we do and our, our participation in that conference next week? 
All of those have to be calculated so that you have a realistic understanding of exactly where those numbers are coming from. If I know that I need 400 to 600 leads over the course of the year, let's say we cut it down the middle 500 by 52, how am I going to generate those 100 leads every single month? Does that make sense, Mike? Yeah, it's a really good example. So if I, if I need 600 leads, that's 50 a month, right? That's, yep. So if, if I'm only getting 25, you're kind of saying like my, my uh, $12 million goal might be too aggressive. Or do I have enough budget to amp up my marketing to take well, that's my- the sec right. that's the second, right. That's the second part of the question is, what do I now need to spend to double the amount of leads I'm getting? And if I'm going to get another million dollars in incremental revenue going from 11 million to 12 million, how much of that am I willing to invest to drive that extra million dollars in business? That's the process they should be they sh thinking through, right? Well, yeah, but think about it this way also. Let's say this company in this example wanted to go from 10 million to $20 million in revenue. All of these numbers would be five times as large and you need a much more robust marketing program to pull that off. So this is where you start to really quantify what's happening and set, uh, I'll say, more realistic goals as opposed to just picking numbers out of the air. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I wanted to just circle back real quickly to something you said earlier. You know, we do ask clients about goals very frequently, and sometimes those are even much shorter term goals than we're talking about here. Like we ask pretty much every single prospect, you know, what are your goals for the next 30 days if you were going to be working with? What are your goals for the next 90 days if you're going to be work, working with us? And people have trouble answering that. So, you know, if, if that's one of their challenges, how do you suggest they start looking at bigger picture goals like you just outlined there? Well, you know, the, I actually don't think it's bigger picture. It's like little picture, right? Hey, if I say I'm going to hire a marketing agency or bring in some contractors or whatever, I have to do the calculations of if I'm going to spend $100,000 just to pick numbers out of the air once again, how many leads can I add onto my lead flow from that original investment? Because if you're bringing on the typical, oh, we'll get a college intern and they'll do our social media posts, you have to say to yourself, okay, sound strategy, how many qualified leads will I get from that? And if the answer is, well, gee, I don't know, like social media, are, are our target personas on social media? Is this the right, who's going to create the content? Do I have to pay to have, like, like it starts a big conversation around planning. And I, I really feel that a lot of people, they just don't take a half an hour and kind of whiteboard out, well, what do we need to do to double our lead flow? And that example, you're right. If we were to say, well, this is too aggressive. What if we just need to add $1 million in revenue, not two? Okay, well, let's hire an SEO firm to double our traffic to our website over 12 months. And let's also all uh, pitch in and write some more content that we can offer on our website, which then we can offer on calls to action to convert those new visitors. And let's use some historic numbers. How many of those um, conversions did we actually turn into sales opportunities and start there? And if that mathematic works out to be positive, because you're right, like the business side of this conversation is, if I generate $10 million in revenue, I'm sorry, an extra million dollars in revenue, and I have a 10% net profit margin, that means I'm going to throw 100000 to the bottom line. Well, am I willing to invest 50000 of that in marketing to get that? Maybe not. Maybe that's like I did all that work just to generate fifty. Or am I playing the long game? Well, let's see. Rather than just look at it from $25,000 in revenue per year, 
the lifetime value of one of our clients is more like $400,000. And I think about it that way, like, okay, would I spend $50,000 in marketing this year to generate 400,000 times X amount of clients for the next five years? Now that's a whole other conversation about lifetime value versus initial engagement. So, you know, these are the, you know, strategic conversations that leadership teams have to roll up their sleeves and dive into if they're going to make some investments in marketing and sales, advertising, public relations, things that actually cost real dollars. That is how they should look at it. I mean, you have to look at lifetime value. You can't look at just the money you're getting in one year if typically your clients stay, stay with you and spend the same amount of money over the course of five or six years or even longer. Like you have to look at the lifetime value for that client because you may invest some money this year to get it, but you're not going to have to invest any money next year to keep it, at least from a marketing perspective. So I, I think that's a much, and, and honestly, I don't hear a lot of people talking about that lifetime value calculation when they talk about investments in marketing. It's very, it's always very short term this year. What am I going to spend this year? What am I going to get this year? Um, and maybe we don't introduce that idea to them enough because I think that's the right way to look at it. Don't you agree? Yeah, I, I actually read, God, it must be two or three months ago. I read this great article about customer service and lifetime value, right? And it was, it was actually about dentistry and how typically uh, the person at the front desk at a dentistry office is uh, indifferent to the patients and perhaps not so good at customer service. And they revealed a startling statistic that when a dentist lands a new patient, because people tend to be sticky about their dentist, typically the lifetime value of a dental patient, $250,000 over the course of that relationship. And the article made a funny joke that is what I remembered. They said, if they got a rubber stamp and they stamped on the forehead of all the patients, $250,000 to remind the people at the front desk what each uh, patient is worth, they might have a different approach to customer service. And I thought that that was so funny how like, don't forget this person, even though they might be a little persnickety about uh, scheduling their dental cleaning or what do you call it? Your uh, dental cleaning? Yeah. Yeah, right, dental cleaning. cleaning yeah. Right, yeah, teeth cleaning. That is part of the two hundred and fifty thousand. When they get a crown here, and they have a root canal there, and they go for the uh, bonding, uh, bonding. Whitening. No, um, whitening. No, the uh, veneers, right? That are like right. uh, thirty thousand right. dollars right. one shot. You know, stuff like that. So the point I'm trying to make is, is that lifetime value is often not considered and not even calculated in a lot of businesses. And Mike, just to throw myself on the sword. I've never calculated the lifetime value of a square two client. Have you? No. Well, I mean, we talk about it sometimes, but we don't really roll it into our calculations. Like exactly. It's many yeah. generalities. So we have to be yeah. held accountable for ourselves as well. Yeah. I mean, the dentist thing too is like, as the customer ages, their amount they spend goes up. So like in the beginning, they might be coming in once or twice a year and all they're getting is cleaning. And that's not a lot of revenue, but as they start to get older and they run into more problems, and their teeth start to fall out or they get more cavities or they need a root canal. And then the bill really starts to stack up. That's probably a little hard for the, the receptionist to realize, right? That's exactly right. But Practice it's important for goal setting because maybe I need half the amount of patients this year that I thought I needed. And then next year, half of that. And it starts to build on itself over yeah. the course of the years. Yeah. Well, it also talks to nurture. Like, I don't know about you, but my dentist never sends me anything other than it's time to come in for your cleaning. If they would nurture me a little bit about things I could do or, or uh, things I should be considering or, 
you know, maybe I would take an extra service or two. You know what I mean? No, my dentist does a great job of nurturing. They send me a box of hard candy once a month. Is that, <laughs> is that a problem? No, they're doing some good marketing. <laughs> yeah, let's circle back around to this idea of data, right? Like you mentioned it a couple of times. And today there's, there's so much data available, so much performance data that can help you set goals. So you literally can find, if your marketing automation or even your Google Analytics, your, your tools are set up properly, you can go in and see how many people are coming to your website, how many people are converting into contacts, where they're coming from. So back to Eric's point, I'm getting you know, a certain amount of visitors from social. I'm getting a certain amount of visitors from organic. I'm getting a certain amount of visitors from my email or from my referral sites or backlinks that I've been doing. So you know that helps. You can also then see how many of those people are turning into new contacts. And you can you should be able to see if it's all set up properly, how many of those people are turning into customers. So you know that data allows you to do some of the calculations that you've been talking about in a very scientific way. Like you literally could, could know how many leads you're getting from what source every single month. So you know if you need 50 to get you that incremental $2 million in revenue and you only have 25, you can see exactly where they're coming from and you can lean into the best sources and focus your budget on those best sources and, and drive those up to, to get you to, to your nut to go from 25 to 50. Bang, you're there, right? Should be that easy. Yeah, it, exactly. But got to get all your data, got to like kind of spill it out on the table, got to like figure all that out. Yeah. So this is to me the, the, the elephant in the room, right? We ask so many people, what's your marketing budget? And almost all of them to a T say, I don't know, right? Yes. What, what, what do you attribute that to? Like, how could they not know what their marketing budget is? Like when you, when, when, you, when you put a budget together for a business, isn't there a line item that says marketing? I mean, it must have some number in it, right? Well, yes and no. You're, you're making a big assumption that uh, companies are doing budgeting for company-wide budgeting. So maybe that's not even happening. And they're just kind of like, does this feel right? I don't know. I'm just spending willy-nilly. Remember, you have a lot of companies that run by the cash register. If there's money left over in the bank account at the end of the month, it was a great month. They didn't plan. They didn't have, you know, how are we doing towards budget? Uh, what adjustments do we have to make midstream to make the numbers work out? So remember, we're dealing, once again, for our listeners in the mid-market entrepreneurial world, it's a little bit different if we had a budget and we were you know, a $6 billion company. So I think the budgeting process is a lot of feel. Now, there's a second part to the revealing the budget that I think is important. Let's face it, uh, marketing companies don't have the most sterling reputation. They uh, are very good at marketing and sales. And then when they don't produce the results they promise in the sales process, there's usually a separation between the client and the agency. And that happens over time. And that is something we hear all the time. Yeah, I got burned by two other agencies. How do I know you guys aren't going to burn us too? So I think the skepticism in the uh, generated by the experience that they had previously keeps that budget number that they're thinking about or have calculated close to the best. They'll say, well, I really don't want to share my budget numbers. I'd love to see what you guys come up with and what your plan would be and how much that would be. And then I'd like to talk about budget which is fair in some respects because you're giving us a blank slate to do whatever we would do based upon their goals and objectives. The challenge there is that people share their goals and objectives. 
I'd like to drive more website traffic. I'd like to convert more of those people on the website into my database. I'd like to nurture the heck out of those people and build a case why I'm the obvious choice to do business with. I'd like to turn those MQLs or marketing qualified leads into sales qualified leads. And I'd like to have my sales team close at least half of those when it comes down to it. So they have those expectations. They have those goals that they set. So they say, all right, well, based upon where you are today, if you want to accomplish all those things, we need a pretty big program with a lot of moving parts, right? SEO for website traffic, new content for conversion. Then we have to have nurturing to turn those people from MQLs to SQLs. Then we have to support the sales team. All of that is a lot of sales and marketing work that obviously drives up the budget. But if we say, Mike, based upon your goals and objectives, we recommend you spend $85,000 over the course of the next year in order to accomplish that. And in their mind, they're thinking, well, I'll spend 25,000 on marketing. Now it opens up another problem, right? Well, I really was thinking about 25. Well, why didn't you tell us you had 25 originally? Then we would have prioritized and given you the three or four biggest bang for your buck activities that we could create. Now there's back and forth and it turns into like a negotiation when it really should be a co-creation of the program together. If the client is transparent, I have no budget. I don't know what it is, but I'm feeling pretty comfortable about spending $37,500 this year. What can you do with that budget? I actually just had a prospect that said, uh, yeah, uh, we'd like to invest $20,000 to enhance our website. What do you think you can uh, do for that kind of budget? I was like, oh, this is great. I know exactly what they want to spend. And even though I would normally recommend 10 things, now I'm only going to recommend seven to make sure that it fits in the budget. I'll put those other three things on the parking lot that when they get better results for their investment in their website, some of the profit that's generated from those new clients can maybe knock off some of the things on the parking lot. But it was such a refreshing conversation to lead with the money. Um, about two months ago, we had a very nice prospect who said, here's what we want to do. We want to build a website. We have 41 locations. It has to have this, that, and the other thing. And our budget's 150. Tell us whether we, what we can do or not. You know what, Mike? Our uh, quote came in for 120. And then we were saying, we're reserving this 30,000 for some extra projects that'll put the cherry on top. The fact that they led with the budget was so refreshing because once again, as you said earlier, 90% of the people are like, I'm not quite sure, show me what you got. Yeah, even your uh, articulation of their goals, they were all qualitative. More of this, more of that, more of this, more of that. No, no specifics. So we're kind of guessing in terms of what they need because we don't really have any real numbers behind it. We have no idea where they are now. We have no idea whether more means 100% more or 10% more. So again, the better the businesses can be with articulating the specifics of their current performance and their desire for future performance the better the entire goal setting process is going to be, the better the entire budget setting process is going to be, the better their effort to, to, to go from point A to point B is going to be. Everything really gets better when they can be very specific about what they're trying to accomplish. All right. And, and you, you know, quantitative, not qualitative. Is, right. I want to gloss over that. That's so important because in marketing today, we can quantify everything. We have all right. the tools. We have all the reporting. There's no more like, I just want to get my name out there a little bit more. Right. Yeah. I think people are, are more comfortable with the qualitative stuff than they are the quantitative stuff. Like we do ask a lot of quantitative questions in our discovery process. And I still am a little surprised how many clients don't know the answers to some of those questions. I mean, I know this is our business, but you want to know how many people came to our website? Like I can tell you almost down to the, the single digit, right? How many leads do we get? I can tell you. So I know it's our business and it's not theirs, but 
literally that's click a button and you can see it. Anybody should be able to answer that question pretty easily. And I'm still surprised at how many people are not able to answer that. Mike, how many laptops do you project you need next year? And what's your total IT budget for 2023? Like, it's the same thing. Like, we don't know. We, 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 we actually have an IT budget for this year, and we know oh. how many laptops we have. I just don't have that information handy. I know, but that budget that we made up for IT, we made up for IT. Well, you know what? Let's throw $2,000 a month in, there in case we need a That's laptop. And, All right. Well, but, stop, stop, and, stop making me feel bad about my IT. No, but I'm saying like, if this was a person listening to this call that is in the IT space, they'd be like, well, well, IT is a business strategy. How come you don't have a handle on that? And that's because we're marketing people, just like our clients aren't marketing folks. They're doing whatever they do. And that's why it's a little bit. Uh, I guess I mean, so. Yeah. But no one presented us a tool where I could see my IT budget and all my laptops and all the, the acts, you know, like who's doing what if someone said to me, oh, I have this beautiful software that you could get a handle on that. I might be like, yeah, that would be great. But we do have that on the sales and marketing side. Absolutely. I mean, right. first of all, now you said that I have a new project because it was like, <laughs> what, what, what year does we you know what year is the laptop? Our lifetime value is three point right. two years. Here's your budget for next year to upgrade because right. we're constantly reactive and not proactive on our right. IT budget. And right. that's what we're encouraging the listeners today to be proactive on their marketing budget the same way. Right. It's like the refrigerator commercial where the guy knocks on the door. He's like, yo, your refrigerator is about to break. They're like, what are you talking about? It's working fine. Like, no, it just it just emailed me that there's a compressor that's about to go down. You know, like it's the same thing. We should have that for all of our equipment. Right. Yeah, absolutely. hundred yeah. percent. OK, let's answer some questions because I got some good questions um, from people. So uh, you're going to like this one. This is from Paige in New York City. My CEO sprung our revenue goals on us this year. How can I proactively work with her next year to set goal based goals based on data instead of her whim? <laughs> well, we talked a lot about that now, but I think number one is a planning exercise, right? Too many people are like, uh, yeah, it's January 15th. We should really set our budget for the year. Meanwhile, you're already halfway through one of your precious 12 months and you haven't even talked about budgeting, right? So it's got to start, let's call September, October. Let's have some conversations. By then we have nine months of data, what's going on in the year before. And we can start to extrapolate what's going to happen by the end of the year and start to talk about what's happening next year. We can mix in things like macroeconomic factors. We could mix in things like some of our staff, maybe perhaps we're worried about leaving our company. Uh, we'll talk about uh, buying a new machine and how that'll open up capacity and we want to fill that. So those kind of conversations have to start September, October. The other thing is the five whys. You ever hear that whole thing? Yes. When the CEO says, yeah, I want to double our sales. Well, why do you want to double your sales? Well, if we double our sales, we could double our profit. Well, why do we need to double our profit? And really keep drilling down into what we need to do. Because if we ask the five whys, by the time we get to the fourth or the fifth one, it starts to really quantify what the intention was of the CEO and why they wanted to grow. If I was in that meeting and the CEO said, I need to grow my revenue, we need more leads, I might push back and say, well, what if we um, did an aggressive campaign to our existing clients and doubled the spend of the people we already have in our roster of clients? Would that fulfill your needs? Because that would shift from attracting new people and spending money on awareness and conversion to nurturing existing clients. And I would have a completely different suite of tools that I would use for that and probably have a much more modest budget when I have to market to my existing team, uh, sorry, existing clients, then I have to go out and find new ones. So those kinds of key questions are what uh, Paige should be using to talk to her CEO about what the planning should be next year and start early. 
Yeah, I, Paige, I think you got to start early, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure no CEO really wants to spring revenue goals on anyone. But maybe in this case, she felt like, well, no one else is working on this. I'm just going to take the initiative and tell everybody what our goals are going to be. I bet if you were able to get ahead of her and run some of the scientific calculations that Eric and I have been talking about and create some quantitative goals, you could go to her and say, hey, here's what I think we can do next year based on our current performance and the money that I need for my marketing budget and what we're planning on investing in sales. I bet you could be, I bet she would be very open to, to listening to your ideas about what the goal should be and then taking those goals and presenting them to whoever else is on the leadership team. So I think you can get out ahead of her next year um, by doing a little bit of what Eric and I have been talking about um, in this session today. Paige, I don't want to be direct, but if you're listening, I want to make sure you think about other areas too, right? Go to your VP of sales and say, hey, look, we have 14 salespeople. How many of them are hitting their monthly quota? Oh, seven of them hit that consistently. Would you consider eliminating the 14th person on your list or the worst provider and rotating that $75,000 base salary into marketing so I could generate more qualified leads for the remaining 13? Like there's a lot of ways to set goals and budgets without having to just spend money, rotating funds, migrating funds, or I'll give you another example page, go to the CEO and say, these three tactics we invested in this year were not performing. I would like to eliminate those and rotate that money into areas that quantitatively show we're doing better. Now you could do the same amount of budget, sorry, you could do more uh, uh, lead gen with the same amount of budget. That's good advice. Um, so speaking of budget, I got another question here from Joanne in San Diego. She wants to know about uh, really what she's, her question is, what's an appropriate marketing budget? I've seen percent of revenue. Is that right? So I know we talked about how to build the budget based on quantitative data, but she's really asking about other budget methodologies. You want to try to answer her question? Because I I've also seen percent of revenue. I don't know if that's right. I'm not a fan of percent of revenue, but some people do use that for budget setting for marketing. Hey, Joanne, using a percentage of revenue to set your marketing budget is dumb. It doesn't apply to anything. I've seen that hundreds of times that people use that as a barometer or industry benchmarks. It's just every company is individual. I never understand why people would go and do that. You have to figure out what's the goal back out of the goal. What do we need to do to get there? Not just some random number. Our industry spends 4% of revenue. Okay. If that's the case, if you're a $10 million company and you're spending 4% of revenue, which would be $40,000, what about your competitor who's doing 20, uh, $20 million? They're spending 80,000. How are you going to outspend them? How are you going to catch up? You got to be smarter, right? Not just spend money based on some uh, metric. I get that out of your head and use that methodology that I showed in the first few minutes of today's session as your starting point for a conversation about how much your budget should be. Yeah, there is no appropriate marketing budget. It's kind of like, you know, you know, your cholesterol, right? Like everybody's different and everybody manages it differently. And some people are high and some people low, or some people are right Wait a in minute, the pocket. Mike. Wait, if I'm a startup and I have no revenue, does that mean I should spend nothing on marketing? It's actually the opposite. I should spend a gigantic amount right. of revenue on marketing to get the wheels turning. So like, right. it doesn't even make sense. What if I'm a hundred year old manufacturer that has clients that have been around for 75 years? Maybe I don't have to spend anything on marketing simply because, um, uh, uh, you know, I, I have the momentum and I can just continue to nurture my existing. Like it doesn't even make sense with that percentage of revenue thing. Right. Agreed. 
Okay, so here's a good question from Jenny in Chicago. How do you recommend our leadership team set goals? And she says specifically here, I'm not asking about the calculation part of it, but the collaboration piece. You, you talked a little bit about Paige, you know, sitting down with the VP of sales and kind of reviewing performance around the sales reps. But how do you think the leadership team should go about setting goals? And, and this is actually something to do with the CEO sprung revenue goals on Paige in the first question. Like, how can the leadership team work collaboratively, collaboratively, to set goals for the for the company? Well, I think it's like a divide and conquer kind of thing, right? Because they, you know, if you have, if you're just starting out on this goal setting uh, journey, you got to get a lot of data and the leadership team can certainly help with that, right? Uh, you uh, figure out this, I'm going to figure out that, Mary, you figure out this, right? And we start to bring that data to the table. The one thing, though, that the leadership team should get behind would be some kind of marketing automation platform to start to consolidate some of this data analysis that could then be used for budgeting. Now, leadership has to buy into the fact that this is a, another piece of technology that we're investing in, but it'll help us. I mean, I, I couldn't see a subscription to SharpSpring, HubSpot, or Marketo when used correctly wouldn't pay for itself very quickly in the efficiencies that you're going to get with your sales and marketing program, right? Nobody is like, well, uh, we, we didn't hit our sales target because Salesforce was too expensive, right? That just doesn't work. So I think that the leadership team has to buy into, I'll call it, new ways of thinking, new school ways of thinking about how sales and marketing go. Um, the other thing that leadership has to participate in is eliminating the gut. And the reason I say that is because if you're at your leadership team meeting and you're like, oh yeah, we just got a new lead from a direct mail postcard we just sent out, the leadership team without having the data might, oh, we should do more postcards. When let's just be honest, right? Like buyer behavior dictates that direct mail is probably not the best place to spend your lead gen money. I have no problem with supporting other campaigns or being air cover for certain things or doing lumpy mail packages to uh, prospects on an account-based marketing campaign. But if we happen to land someone from postcards, we have to say, well, let's look at postcards. We spent $5,000. How many clients did we actually get from it? Also, I think leadership has to be open-minded enough to do some testing. Um, if you are a traditional advertiser and you're not getting the results you want, let's have leadership back up that we're going to really lean into testing. Uh, we do billboards. All right, well, let's try new messaging. Okay, well, uh, if we have new messaging, let's try an offer on our billboards to drive them to the website to integrate old school and new school activities. Like the leadership team has to be educated enough in what's going on in sales and marketing today in order to support the sales and marketing effort. I think that's a big place where they can start educating themselves, using some technology, uh, get away from gut and using data and kind of all the things that I, you know, leading edge uh, leadership team should be focused on. I think data is really the secret to this. Um, who asked this question? Jenny, right? I think that the data is really the issue. If you're in a leadership team meeting and people are like, well, I think, or in my opinion, or in my past experiences, or you know, this is what we used to do. This is what we've always done. I think those are some signals that the company needs to get behind the idea that you don't really need to make decisions anymore based on assumptions or opinions or perspectives. There are plenty of platforms, to Eric's point, that can be installed that answer all these questions for you. And all of it should be, let's look at the data, right? What should our goals be? 
you know, let's run through an exercise like Eric outlined in the beginning, right? It's very quantitative. It's very specific. It's very data-driven. If you can support a certain amount of revenue from current clients, if you can support a certain amount of revenue from prospects based on the current performance of, of, of your marketing and lead generation efforts, if you're going to invest a certain amount of money and you can justify the lift in the performance from a prospect and lead generation perspective, then the goals should present themselves. It should actually be quite easy uh, to, to use that data to, to have a collaborative goal setting process with everyone in, in every area. And I think the important takeaway here is every area is going to contribute to this, right? If like I talked in the beginning about a company that, that does $10 million in business, but only $8 million of it is, is going to be uh, reoccurring, right? Well, there's someone at that meeting responsible for customer service who could potentially work to make that only $9 million instead of $8 million, right? If you can save a million dollars from an, uh, an attrition or a retention program, that's a pretty big contribution to the goal that they're trying to achieve. And if the data can support, well, if we did these three things, I think I can take us from only doing eight to doing nine. Well, now you have a legitimate goal. It's very specific. Do an extra million dollars in, uh, in the retention or whatever, the revenue saving program around retaining current clients. Like each of the areas can contribute. That's customer service. And you have sales, you have marketing, right? Well, um, I'll give you an operations example, Mike. Ready? Hey, marketing person, I'm Eric, the operations manager. I, I just wanted you to know we're, we're taking delivery of a new uh, manufacturing machine that will drive down our costs in half. I think that we could lower our prices to attract more customers because of our efficiencies with our new machine. How would that help you market and sell at a lower price, right? Like there's like how like the manufacturing side of the business can help sales and marketing by sharing that data. Maybe we just have an offer for the one product that slips through the system the best and the rest remain the same price, right? There's lots of ways, like you said, Mike, that they could collaborate on that, even though they're not in the sales and marketing uh, department. Right. Well, if I know I can run a special promotion on price, that might allow me to generate more leads, right? Because mm -hmm. there's going to be more people excited about getting our product at a better price than maybe they could get it historically. So you're right. That's you exactly go the other way too. Our new machine will cut delivery time in half. Now you have something to promote. Get your stuff in three weeks, not six weeks at ABC Corp. Right. Find out more. Right, right. Which should generate more leads, which helps uh, us with our quantity. If the industry average is six weeks and you're coming to the table with three weeks, something interesting, something remarkable. Right. right. So I think that's the way you want your leadership team to sit down and talk about goals and you know, get everyone contributing quantitatively to these goals and then roll them all up and agree that you're going to, you know, be able to do this together. And this, this leads into a really interesting question that I wanted to make sure we had time for. This is right up your alley. Do you think any of the business operating systems like EOS helps with this issue? How would it help? This is from um, Sierra in Charleston. So this is very specific to what we're talking about. And you're kind of the entrepreneur in residence. So how does EOS or what's the other one called? Scaling up? Yep. How, how do the they? AKA scaling up. Right, scaling up. How did those two systems help the this leadership team kind of work together like we've been describing? Well, I'm so glad you mentioned it because that puts a strategic planning backbone to the entire basically, you know, goal setting and budgeting process, right? So 
when you have EOS, which is the entrepreneur system, uh, Gina Wickman, Traction, the book, uh, if you're interested in more information on that. So what happens is you're setting not only your 10-year BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal, you're setting your three to five-year plans, which includes quantitative things like revenues, customer counts, things, whatever is important to your company, then boils it down to what is our annual plan, boils it down to quarterly objectives, and then you're talking about individual initiatives or, or what's called ROCs. Uh, each quarter for all the leadership team members that roll down to their teams, right? So I, I hope I did the justice by explaining it in a very simple way. But um, adjacent to all of that planning are the metrics that go with that to make sure that you're on plan. So if you're like, hey, we're going to generate 300 leads this quarter, that's our goal, right? Not just to grow the business arbitrarily, but to generate 300 leads. Well, that's marketing's rock for that quarter. And now we can be uh, red, yellow, or green against that initiative by checking in with some of the quantitative information we get from our marketing automation platforms to feed that one-page plan to make sure everybody's on the same page. From a collaboration point of view, if everybody is using the same one-page plan and it's divided by the divisions of the company, manufacturing understands what sales is doing and sales knows what finance is up to and finance knows what leadership is talking about. And it all comes together in a, a quite elegant and simple plan. Yeah, that's really good advice. And we've seen companies install this and really move the business forward. And, you know, it, it might sound like a lot of work, but, you know, it's going to be much more effective than a lot of what we've been talking about today, which is people kind of flying by the suit of their pants and guessing what their revenue goals should be and arbitrarily setting them without data. You know, this does nicely align and orchestrate all different parts of the company around a very specific plan, a very specific set of goals that are quantitative in nature. And now you have every kind of everybody kind of rowing in the, in the same direction. That is how a lot of companies get significant, no pun intended, traction, right? Uh, it's, the, it's the Treasure Island thing, right? If I drop you on the treasure island with no map, take you forever to find that treasure. You have a map, you follow the map. Even if you're kind of following the map, you're just going to do better. Yeah. EOS and those kinds of strategic planning software frameworks enable you to have that map to get to where you want to go. Yeah. And if you are interested in this, there are literally very specialized coaches that help companies learn EOS and scaling up Then will work very specifically with you and kind of help you set up the practices and the rituals that are all part of this system. Uh, and it does add a lot of value. If you're interested in it, you can just Google it. There's plenty of information out there. So Eric, I have a couple more questions before we wrap up for the show here. And these are interesting. So I want to make sure I get to them. What if we do if we're three months into the year, and it's obviously obvious, we're not going to hit our goals. Do we change them? Do we run out the year missing them? What are the ramifications of missing badly set goals month after month. This is Mark in LA. It's a really interesting situation because I'm sure a lot of businesses run into this. If you're arbitrarily setting the goal, you could really find yourself behind the mark pretty pretty quickly into the year. What, what do you think you should do? Well, I don't think you should ride out the rest of the year on the original plan. You got to pivot. Like without a doubt, you have to pivot because the data shows us we're not getting there. So what I might pull back there is if that initial data for the first 90 days is clearly indicating that, let's call it 10% of things are really working and 10% of things are really not working and everything's kind of average in between, we can start to make some pivots. Cancel the 10% things that aren't working, cancel half of the things that are average, rotate that investment into the things that are working so that you get yourself a little breather and then start to roll up your sleeves and dive into the data to find out the why. Now, 
Why could be as simple as, well, I think next year we'll double our business and it's just not coming to fruition, whether it's macro or microeconomic issues that are retarding that growth. But a lot of times if it's like, hey, we want to grow 20%, we're on track, we're only growing 8%, you still have nine months left of the year to course correct. Okay, maybe you'll only end up with 12% increase, but why, why would you ever just keep going along with bad uh, uh, execution? So I think that real-time data analysis and then the guts to pivot, to say, I was wrong. I thought that we should sponsor this thing and we got nothing from it. We're not doing that again. And a good example of that is trade shows and conferences. People go to those trade shows and conferences. They don't track what goes on. They spend a boatload uh, in order to go there and attend and follow up and all that. And they just keep going without tracking and testing. Um, however, if I saw that, wow, I spent $500 on my Google AdWords campaign and I really did get a significant amount of traffic, I'm not quite converting as much. Well, let me take the money from the dog that I just got rid of, put it in there and then lean into some of the testing that might say, well, I'm getting good traction, but I'm not converting. That's what I'm going to work on with my team this month. So I think it's a, you know, like you said, <laughs> 20 minutes, it's a data thing. It's a data thing. You got to really lean into the data. Now, the problem is nobody has any time whatsoever to spend three hours on a Wednesday morning going through the data to try to find that little nugget that's going to fix the program. And that's where bringing in people that have done it hundreds of times is probably a good uh, uh, idea. If you brought Mike Lieberman, the chief revenue scientist of Square Two Marketing to your company, I guarantee you that after 60 minutes of reviewing your data, he'd say, oh, well, it's obvious. Like, look at these three things. But Mike Lieberman has done it hundreds of times and that company's done it once a year for the last three years yeah you're talking a lot about tactics but i think we're this is something also about incorrect goal setting right so well, you're, you're right you're, you're, goal setting. right but it, you're all all the tactics you identified the pivoting and the stopping and the starting like yeah that all makes sense but they overestimated what they could do so should they lower their goals of course. Okay, right. That's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I'm, sorry. You gotta... I, I, I'm sorry if I wasn't clear. I was like, let's mix up the tactics and adjust because like I, I tried, I thought I was saying if our goal was 20% and I'm cruising along at 8% of my goal, sorry, if my goal is 20% and I'm cruising along at eight, I'm less than 50% of the way to my goal. I got to stop and pivot right there because my goal is not right. Now that it could be lowering the goal or right. it could be fixing what's going on. Now, right. obviously, if you're at 8%- Or both, eight, right? It, it can be both. I mean- It could be both. And it right. also could be other things like seasonality, holidays, uh, the price of oil has gone up for some reason. There's a lot of factors there. Now, my whole thing about goal setting is that if I'm missing the mark and I can explain it away in simple terms, like, oh, there happened to be a global pandemic for the last two years and it retarded the growth of my company, that makes sense. I'm going to redo my growth. But if it's a regular year and I want to grow 20% and I'm at 8%, something's not working right. The goal seems reasonable and maybe the execution is not there. Yeah. I mean, if you're setting your goals like we're talking about and you're missing them, I think that's an opportunity to lean into the tactics like Eric's talking about. If you winged it and set your goals and you're missing it dramatically, you may have overshot what you're capable of doing. And I, I don't, I actually, I think you have to reset them, right? It's going to be horrible to continue going down the path of missing your goals dramatically every single month. Even if you're trying to get the tactics to fix it, if you, if, if you just took a flyer on what you think you could do.
That, that's how totally. I that. Mike, quick comment on the other side of that coin. If you only think every year that you could grow 2%, well, you're not stretching enough, right? Like right. that's another problem that are people like, oh, I feel so much more comfortable when I hit the goal each month. But you know what? You're leaving a lot of money on the table. Right. If I want to hit 20% and I end up at the year at 18%, I think that's a win, right? I grew the company 18%. Yeah, I was reaching over there for 20, but I almost got there. What else could I have done in retrospect? But if I'm like, oh, I'd like to grow my company 2% and I got to 4%, I'm like, well, couldn't, couldn't I have grown my company 8%? Yeah. It's just funny you should mention that because our next question is from Walt in Philadelphia. I like the last question, but what about the opposite scenario? We're killing our goals. Should we be, should they be reset? Isn't that demoralizing too? Because they're blowing it out. And if you reset them and now they're missing it because the goals are higher, like how do people feel about that? And that's an interesting scenario. It is an interesting scenario. I'd rather go with the, hey, I felt a little bad that I missed the mark because it's a net gain. If I said I want to grow 10% and I kept growing 12% and I said, all right, let's try for 15 and I got to 14, 14 is still higher than 10. So you're suggesting he reset those also? 100%. Right. Because now it's like, you know, activity breeds activity. Come on, guys. But isn't that like moving? Isn't that like moving the goal line in the middle of the race? Like, oh my God, I'm going to get there. Wait a minute. No, I'm not. They keep moving it back. Like it's a little, you have to admit it has the potential to be a little demoralizing, especially when you're talking about like sales reps or a sales organization, right? Well, it is. But if we get together and we have open conversation as to the why we're moving the goal line, right, then it makes sense. You guys are killing it. I think you could do more. We're going to not only tweak the goal setting, but we're also going to give the compensation related to hitting the stretch goals, right? That's why yeah. people have stretch goals with such big bonuses on them because they want them to reach. They want them to reach out there. Yeah, well, and I guess if they're doing... You know, let's just say for sake of argument, their goal was 20% every month, month over month, right? And they are doing 40, right? So they're killing it. And you made the goal 40. Well, they're already doing 40. So they should be able to keep doing what they're doing and not feel particularly bad about it, I would think, right? Well, I, I, I think it's the other way around, Mike. If you said to me, I'll give you 50 bucks to do 20 push-ups. I'm not sure I could do 20 push-ups, right? But if you said 50 bucks, right? If you said to me, Eric, if you do 50 push-ups, I'll give you 10 grand. I will work my, I'll, I'll let my arms fall off because I'll try to work towards that goal, right? And it's the same thing. Like maybe I'll make an extra few calls today, you know? Well, you know, one of my meetings got canceled rather than just like hit up my phone and scroll on social. You know what? I'm going to hit up some old clients and see if there's any work to be uh, forward out there. The salespeople can do more. And I think that if you're hanging that carrot out there, they probably could hit a stretch goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. Awesome. Anything you want to add before we wrap up? No, I mean, this was a really good episode because it got into a business conversation, not just marketing and sales. And I, I hope some of the people in the audience will like urge their uh, team members to like be a little bit more open-minded about working together collaboratively and not siloing things like sales and marketing, uh, you know, uh, to be on their own. There's a lot of things that could happen in a business. There's so many moving parts. And when it, you apply um, uh, uh, effort in the right areas, lots of great things can happen. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, the show is what's wrong with revenue. And I think sales and marketing people get saddled with revenue all the time. And it's not just their issue. It's not just their challenge. To your point, almost everybody has some impact on revenue. And it needs to be looked at as a company initiative. The, the revenue goal needs to be set as a company with everyone having some kind of contribution to that conversation. And like we've said about 30 times today, it has to be backed up by data.
And if you do that, you know, you may have other revenue related issues, but one of your issues will not be your goals. You'll have good solid goals based on data that everybody's behind and the programs are all aligned with and the investments are there to support it. You may have other issues, but hey, you won't have if, you, if you knocked out three of our 10 suggestions today, you'll just be further along. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, thanks everybody for joining us next week. We're going to talk about, you don't have the right people in the right roles. Like we said, it's not always about execution. Sometimes you don't have the right people to do the kind of things you think you can do. We'll cover that topic next week in episode 29 of what's wrong with revenue right here at the same time, four o'clock on Wednesdays. Thanks everybody for joining. You can check out the show on YouTube, Square Two Marketing Channel. You can check out the show on Square Two's new streaming service, Square Two Plus, square2marketing.com backslash square two P-L-U-S. All the shows are there. All of our audio and video content is there. And if you want to submit questions to the show, like Walt and like Todd and like some of the other people we talked about today, go to the Square Two Marketing website. At the bottom, there's a link for what's wrong with revenue. Click on that page and there's a button where you can submit questions to Eric and me. We'll tee them up and answer them on the show live. Thanks everybody for joining. Have a really great rest of your day and we'll see you back here next Wednesday. Thanks very much.